Well, Christmas is one week from today, and our topic this Advent season is the exaltation of Christ. So we're moving beyond talking about just the baby in the manger this year uh, to talking about the glory and the worthiness of our risen Savior, Christ Jesus, um, our King. And there is perhaps no verse in the Bible that lifts Jesus up higher than Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And so that's going to be our text for this morning. Uh, it will be on your screen, just one verse, Hebrews 1, 1, verse 3. It says this, He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's our text for today. Amen. So if you watch sports on television uh, or if you listen to sports radio, then you're very familiar with a debate that all sports fans love to have with each other, and it's Who's the greatest of all time? Okay. So is it Michael Jordan or is it LeBron James? Now your age may play a factor here. You may say like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Okay. Yeah. If you're really old. But um, is, uh, is, it Lionel, is it Lionel Messi or is it Cristiano Ronaldo? Or if you remember Pele or Maradona, maybe you would say. Someone like that. Those debates are fun to have for most guys. Um, and the arguments usually revolve around what? We talk about what has the person accomplished? Okay? What have they done? It has nothing to do with who the person is or what kind of person they are. We talk about statistics and trophies and rings. But greatness in the Bible always has as much or more to do with a person's nature. What kind of person are they? Their character. And you cannot separate a person's nature from their accomplishments if you want to consider the Bible's concept of greatness. And so with that in mind, I want to introduce you this morning to a better Jesus than the one that most people know about. The person that this verse describes is certainly a much better Jesus than the one most people are familiar with when they think about Christmas, especially that's true of non-Christians. Um, this verse tells us how Jesus reveals God to us. Part of how Jesus reveals God to us is by what he accomplished, right? That's true. But just as important, if not more important, is what Jesus is like. So if you go out and you ask the average person on the street, or if you're walking through Kroger and you just say, who is Jesus? An unbeliever might say, well, Jesus was supposedly this guy that lived a long time ago and he died on a cross. Um, Christians believe that it was for their sins. And a believer might say, Jesus is 
the one who died on the cross for my sins, right? It made me more personal. But typically, we still focus on what Jesus did, what he accomplished. And even in the church, that's often true. And it's not a bad focus. We absolutely should talk about often, every Sunday, what did Jesus do? What did he accomplish? What were his miracles? We talk about his death and resurrection. And all of that is extremely important. But we cannot separate the work of Jesus from the person of Jesus. So this has been major headlines the last few months. We know the Queen passed away in Great Britain. If you have a a royal or a dignitary or some high-ranking official and they walk into a dinner party or a, a fancy ball, a dance, something like that, Someone is going to announce their arrival, right? But they don't list off the person's accomplishments. What they announce is the person's formal title. And this is how they would have introduced the queen before she died. Her Majesty Elizabeth II, by the grace of God, of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, and of her other realms and territories queen, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith. All of that is who she is. It's just describing who she is by title. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is doing here. He's telling us who Jesus is, not only what Jesus has accomplished. He tells us both of those because you cannot separate them one from the other. And so this morning, my goal is for us a simple one. As we approach Christmas this week, as a church, I want nothing more than for each of us to simply have a bigger view of Jesus. I want Him to be greater in our minds and our hearts. Now certainly, the baby in the manger is an incredible part of who Jesus is. That story is, is the biggest thing that we celebrate at Christmas typically is the nativity story. But even the man who died on the cross, I, I want the man who died on the cross, the, the man who was born and placed in a manger, the man who rose again, I want him to be bigger and better than we thought he was. And that's why we're here. So the first thing the writer tells us about Jesus is that he is the radiance of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, Jesus is the shining and visible light that emanates from God himself. Jesus is not like the moon, which reflects the sun's light. Jesus is more like the actual light from the sun, right? The sun is far away, but its light reaches across space to earth and beyond. And that's what radiance is. In the Old Testament, God radiated something that the Hebrews called his Shekinah glory. And this is what Hebrews 1 verse 3 is calling Jesus. Jesus is 
God coming to earth like the light from the sun. But what is glory? You remember this word from our study in the Old Testament, specifically in Judges and Samuel. We talked about glory a lot. The glory of a king or of a priest was something that was displayed in their clothing, their their robes. And so important people in ancient times, they wore lots of heavy ornamented robes to show that they were important. And basically that's what that word glory means is heaviness. The heavier a person appeared, the heavier their garments were, that was a display of their glory. And so Jesus is bearing in his person the radiance of God's heaviness, of his glory. The writer also says that Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. In other words, Jesus is not a counterfeit or even a copy. He's an exact copy. He's he's not he's not made of similar stuff. He's made of the exact same stuff. Jesus is equal in substance to the Father. And there was a lot of drama in the first few hundred years of the church to get this right. A lot of councils met to get this right because it's a big deal. In fact, this one verse by itself destroys any heresy that says that Jesus is not God. Because it can't mean anything else but that Jesus is literally God. To see Christ is to see what God is like. And God would not allow his word to say something like that about anyone else. He is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Jesus is called God's son. But it's not in the same way that that Eli is my son. Eli bears some of my DNA. He looks a little like me. But he's not my clone. We're very different, right? But Jesus, that's not the way we're meant to think about the Son and the Father. Jesus has exactly the same nature as the Father. There's something different going on there. Something mysterious. And that's important. The writer also says that Jesus upholds the universe. If you're familiar with Greek mythology, there was uh, a titan named Atlas who held the earth up on his back. And so it may be tempting to read this and think that's what Jesus is doing. He's upholding the universe, right? But this word in Greek is different than that. What it means is that Jesus has the power not just to hold the universe up, but to create to preserve it, to control it, and to bring to an end everything. That's what that word actually means. And so he's not just holding the world in his hand, right? He can actually do whatever he wants with it. That's the power that Jesus has over the universe. And that's the baby in the manger, That's the man who died for our sins on the cross. The man who 
with a single word could change everything that we know. The man who became God in the flesh, the one who creates and sustains all things. This is the man that Hebrews 1 verse 3 says made purification for our sins. And in fact, that's the only phrase in the verse that highlights the work of Jesus. Everything else he says focuses on the person of Jesus, his worth, his value, his identity. In other words, the writer's telling us that Jesus was able to make purification for our sins because of who he is. Only God in the flesh could accomplish that. And we understand the idea behind this. There are certain things that only certain people can do, right? There are certain things that only the President of the United States can do. There are certain telephones or buttons or whatever, right, that they can push. Um, There's certain things that only... Wealthy people can do, right? Like own a yacht. Most of us can't do that. There's certain things that only a king can do. Well, the Bible makes it super, super clear that the only person who has the power to forgive sins is God. Because he's the one who's been sinned against And the only person who can pay the penalty for sins had to be man because man committed the first sin. And so Jesus had to be both. He had to be God. He had to be man. And this is the point of the incarnation. This is what Christmas is really about. Hebrews is going to spend a lot of time um, talking about the priesthood. And that's probably because God is about to let the Romans destroy the temple in Jerusalem. And so the sacrificial system is going to end. The old covenant as they knew it would be completely eliminated. And the writer of Hebrews is preparing Jewish Christians for that time. They don't need the sacrifices if they have Jesus. Because the priests and the sacrifices were all always about Jesus. They were always pointing the people to their need for atonement. But if you were to go back and you were to walk around the temple 2,000 years ago, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and, and watch, what you would see is that the priests in the temple, while they were on duty, they never sat down. When they were at work, they remained standing until they left the temple. But notice what Hebrews says about Jesus. And we talked about this a little bit last week. It says, after making purification for sins, he what? He sat down. And this further expands on what we talked about last week, that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. What this means is that Jesus has finished the necessary, the important work As a priest, his sacrifice as a priest for his people was a one time thing. It was enough. He has finished his work in as much as that 
that part of it, right? He did something that the other priests would never be able to do while they were on duty. He sat down. He finished. You see this um, again in sports. So if you get near the end of a big, a big game, a big match, if a team has a big lead, right? The team's up by 20 points or whatever. They usually, what will they do? They will send their star player to the bench and the player will sit down to loud cheering and then the coach is going to send in a player that usually doesn't get a chance to play, right? To just kind of finish out the match. The star did their job. There's really nothing left to do. The game is won. And so the coach is just letting the bench guy come in and just experience the moment of playing in the game. But everybody knows it's... It's done, right? And as a side note, this is actually our role in the kingdom. Jesus sat down to great applause, right? He's he's done it. It's finished. The game is won. The work is over. But we're not we're not adding anything to it, really. We're not we're not stealing his spotlight. We're not robbing him of his glory. But he loves us enough. To let us play a few minutes in the game, even though it's already won. That's how I think about my role in the kingdom. It's really just those last minute extra moments, right? And then the writer says that Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. We, we mentioned this last week. This is the position of favor, the position of honor and authority. And what this means is this. Jesus not only finished his work, but his work was perfect. Even though he humbled himself and died on a cross, in the end he lost nothing. And not only did he not lose anything, he gained everything. He resumed his rightful place of honor, having purchased the souls of millions of people with his own blood. So in one verse, who is Jesus? Jesus is the prophet through whom God has spoken his final word. Jesus is the priest who has accomplished a perfect work of cleansing for his people's sins. And Jesus is the king who sits even now in the place of highest honor, ruling over all things. Prophet, priest, king. One verse. And why is all this important? Now listen, we've we've got a church culture where we make it pretty easy for people. You just, just believe Jesus died for your sins and you're good, right? And there is a certain simplicity in our faith that even the smallest child can understand what is necessary, what, is, what it looks like to repent and believe. But there's a danger for us of having this sort of, you know, believing is easy mentality that we might not see the need. You know, why do I need to have 
a bigger and better idea of Jesus than that. I mean, isn't it enough that I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that Jesus was real, He rose again? Isn't that enough? Well, in some ways, yes, but is there anything inside me that wants to know more? Wants to have a better picture of Jesus? That wants to continue to grow in my understanding of who Jesus is? And part of the difficulty is that we live in a time in history when we don't really need to know anything. Most of us have an entire world of information in our pocket. If I want to know something about God, I can just look it up. But brothers and sisters, this is not just useless trivia. This is not just let me check Google for the answer. The Bible is an invitation to know and to follow and to be loved by the God who created you. I want you to do something for me. I want you to think about whatever it is that you want for Christmas. Okay, kids, you too, everybody. What? Kids and adults, because you know we do it too. What, what do you want for Christmas this year? Okay. Whatever it is, I bet, for most of us, we spent a lot of time thinking about it. Some more than others, right? But you probably spent some time thinking about your Christmas list. You did some research. Even if you're buying your own gifts, right? You did some research. You looked at the reviews. You spent time deciding what to ask for, right? Why? Because right now in your life, that gift, whatever it is, whatever it is you want, it holds a lot of value for you. You believe that gift is going to make you happy next, next Sunday. And that's okay. I don't want anybody feeling guilty about looking forward to Christmas. I want you to enjoy Christmas. Have fun. Open your gifts. Right? But let's be honest for a moment. Do we care to learn about God the way we care about our Christmas list? Is He at least that valuable to us? Right? Should be more valuable. But let's be honest. Is He at least that valuable? The evidence in my life says no. My phone tells me how much time I spend on it. And I'm not going to tell you because it's an embarrassing amount of time. I wish I could say that it was all on my Bible app or my prayer list. But it's not. My hobbies get my time. Random videos posted by strangers, that gets my time. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now I don't know about you, but I quickly and easily forget what this feels like to believe that Jesus is worth more than everything I've got. 
everything. I constantly underestimate the effects of sin in my life. I forget how easily I drift. How quickly I become disinterested in the things of God. Thankfully, my God has never let me stray so far um, that there's no turning back. Every time He brings me back and every time He does, you know what it feels like? Christmas morning. When I was a child, um, my family did not celebrate Christmas. Most of you probably know this. I was raised Jehovah's Witness. Um, We weren't allowed to celebrate holidays, which is really sad. But one year, when I was about six years old, my parents had to, I think they went out of town or something, and I got to stay with my grandparents for Christmas. And they do celebrate Christmas, or did. And I think my grandmother tried to combine every Christmas I was ever going to miss into that one year. And she did a really good job of it. I mean, she went all out. She, she put us to bed and waited until we were almost asleep and rang bells in the hallway. <laughs> and we woke up the next morning and there were presents everywhere. Everywhere. And it felt like a dream coming true. And I will never forget that feeling. That's what the joy of our salvation is supposed to feel like, I think. And if you don't believe me, listen to what Psalm 126 says. It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. And then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Isn't that a beautiful song? It was like, it's like waking up from a dream, right? It's like Christmas morning. And if you're like me, you've forgotten again what, that Jesus is the greatest of all time. You've forgotten the joy of the kingdom. We've drifted again into selfishness and laziness. Forgotten the gift of forgiveness. The unconditional love of the Father for His children in Jesus Christ. And so what do we do? We repent. We believe. We open the gift again. We laugh. And we sing. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, um, I pray that in some small ways you have been lifted up this morning in our hearts. That we would remember what it's like to feel lost and then found. To feel without hope and then to have it. To feel shame lifted, the burden lifted, the guilt removed. 
Would you help us to feel the joy of our salvation once again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing.